Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning. Happy almost new year. Last day of 2023. Tomorrow you'll have to start getting used to writing out 2024. We welcome you and glad that we can join on this final day of 2023 together. Uh, after a while, it seems like the years go by faster, doesn't it? I don't know about this thing about picking up speed, but they seem to do that. Uh, I don't remember really as a kid, but I'm told that when I was a kid, I could hardly wait until the next birthday, but that's no longer the case. I grew that a few years ago. I can wait for my next birthday. Thank you. And uh, But the um, uh, blessings of what we are able to express, and we're going to have opportunity for that even tonight. Hope you can join us uh, 6 o'clock for our time together. Uh, bring a board game uh, for a few people. Uh, we're going to be setting up our cafe for eating and then for a time of just uh, connecting, and then we're going to be sharing a little bit as we just uh, ring in, our ringing in the new year. We won't actually, but as Lori said, but we'll be having an opportunity just to uh, pause before the Lord before we uh, move off into the new year. I'm going to invite you to go with me in your Bibles. Hope you brought your Bibles to Isaiah. If you would go to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to go to chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to begin to read verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord. Now he tells us about it. He was high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, And thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to open our hearts. May your word penetrate beyond the veneer of our limited understanding at this moment. Take us beyond, take us deeper. Stir us from inside out, I pray, not from the outside in. Holy Spirit, we give way to you as we sung a moment ago. We make room for you here. Not in this auditorium as much as in now our own lives. We make room for you. Lord, to do that, we have to get rid of some stuff in order to make room for you. Reveal what that means, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's impossible to 
uh, I'm going to just say, really, when you think about when you preach the Word of God, there's a lot of impossibilities when it comes to taking the Word of God and declaring it with justice, declaring it in the way it ought to be. Uh, but I'm going to say that I was stirred. This was over four years ago. I've shared this last week. Over four years ago, the Lord stirred my heart specifically on this topic that we're going to be sharing it because there was a problem. Typically, messages address a problem. And the problem is not unique to a local congregation. There's just a big problem. And so I was stirred. It was just over four years, probably four and a half years ago. I remember where I was and when it began to happen, the stirring, and it was stirring over a period of time. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll put some teachings together. And, and the timing was not right. It just was not right, not right, not right. And it was back here just a few months ago where I strongly sense, and I normally don't start my messages this way, so if you're used to hearing me, I normally don't start this way. I was stirred a few months ago, now, now. And I didn't know what the now meant. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. So I had to put it together. It wasn't something preconceived. It wasn't something prearranged. And the one word that, and, and I could see it before me, just about holy, you to talk about holy God. Now, at first, I got pretty excited about it because I love talking about God. But as I began to prepare, I began to shake like a leaf because there are so many kickbacks on this. <laughs> first of all, if I don't do it right, I'm not just accountable to you, I'm accountable to him. And that scares me to death. It scares me to death. There's this expression that you tremble at his word. Tremble at a holy God. So it scares me. So that's the frightening part. But here's the other aspect, I guess, is honestly, I won't say I don't have a clue, but my understanding is so, so limited. We peer through a glass dimly. And so I'm trying to explain something that's out of this world. I'm trying to explain something that words will fall short of. We don't have a vocabulary for it. We don't have stories for it. As a matter of fact, we don't even have any illustrations. We don't have any paradigms. There's nothing that we can use to describe God. The Bible is the story of God and the story of his creation. But, wow, it's, it's the beginning. And so, I'm just, I start off, and I won't talk this way next week or the week after about this. I just need to start by saying... Uh, this is an undaunting, this is a daunting task. Just like a person can't really explain the love of God, you can't really explain a holy God. It will take a lifetime and beyond in an attempt. So with that said, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about holy God. Perhaps you may wish to join me in preparing yourself, because you will see Jesus at moments in time who is the begotten of the Father and the expressed image of the Father. Jesus would say, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you'll begin to see it. He is saying by saying that, he says, most will not. Matter of fact, that was said in the Old Testament. Many will not. The majority. So if you have 100 people, the majority will not. They will not dig deep. They will not do what it takes to get there. That's okay. It's okay with me because I can't do anything about it. 
My responsibility is, will I pursue him with everything in me? So here's the question, and, it's, and I've just put it out to you. You may want to, in the next few days, we're starting a new year, perfect time, to enter into a season of fasting and prayer. Fasting meaning that you separate yourself from stuff, and while you separate yourself, you pursue him. You start, and you dig into his word. I'm not going to tell you where to start in the word. You may want to just take, again, there's notes to all, all the things I'm sharing today. The scriptures are before you can grab those. You may start there. You can begin there. But ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to start? When you pick up the scriptures, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to start? And ask him. Ask him to guide you. And I suggest you not just do the, you know, close the Bible and open it up. Okay. Um, you know, that might work once or twice, but you, Holy Spirit will show Wow, so um, let's start this out. Um, I, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to come back to our text in Isaiah, but Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to get started. I invite you to turn there. Again, just mark these in your Bibles. Hebrews 12, and Hebrews 12, before we read at the end of the chapter, it's important to understand a little bit about as we read Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, of course, follows Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 was a chapter that started off by saying, Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. Faith is something that you can't grasp. You have to believe, but you don't believe in something that has no substance. It has substance. It has purpose. It has, it has wisdom. But it doesn't follow our lines of reasoning. It doesn't have to. It's actually ahead of our lines of reasoning. Typically, our understanding will follow. Faith goes before and so in that, it's that confidence and assurance. And then it goes into a plethora of a number of people who walked and lived by faith and died by faith. Then we get to our chapter, chapter 12. And chapter 12 starts off in verse 1. It says, therefore. So whenever you had a therefore, that's why I went back to chapter 11. Whenever you start a chapter or a segment says, therefore, don't just keep going on because you won't understand the significance of it if you don't go back and figure what's the therefore too. We just did that, chapter 11. It's about, it's about knowing him, walking with him, having faith, that assurance. Then we get to chapter 12. Therefore, based on 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Every one of us has a different race. The race marked out for you. But you're not going to get there unless you throw off everything that hinders. Because it will entangle you. And if there is something, I think this is really where the Lord is stirring us to address this. Is because there's a lot of entanglement today. There's a lot of tripping. There's a lot of stumbling. There's a lot of falling short. And so we need to throw that off, but we often don't know what that is, or we, we maybe threw it off once and we felt that it was thrown off forever. I didn't know if that was God speaking to me, and I needed to stop. <laughs> Speak, Lord. I feel like, feel like Samuel. I'm listening. So we come to two... We come to, let's go to the end of chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go back down to verse 28. We have another therefore. Therefore, 
based on the other. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Note that part. Worship God. Here's the acceptable way of worshiping God. With reverence and awe. Everybody say that together with me. Reverence and awe. Reverence. That's the acceptable way to worship him. Note the part. A kingdom will not be shaken. So you can give thanks so that you can worship God acceptably. Acceptably will be with reverence and with awe. Now, you know, reverence and awe, uh, I'm going to break it down. Uh, reverence, the word reverence is the word Greek word ados. It means profound, adoring, majestic respect. Awe is the word uh, eulabia, which carries with it the idea of godly fear, dread, inspired by something great and terrific, to strike with fear and reverence, to influence by terror and respect. And if, if, there's a, you can't break it up between terror and awe. It's all compounded together. Now, don't be alarmed by the words fear and dread and terror because we need to remember that holy fear has a drawing, not a repulsive effect. Holy fear will draw you to him. It won't push you away from him. And so we have termed the word fear as bad. But holy fear is good. It's a trembling. It's a shaking. Yes, it's a fear. But it's an awe. It's a reverence that draws us into his presence. It's a good thing. Now, God's holiness invites reverence and complete awareness of him. You know, when that text here, with reverence, worship him with reverence and awe, those two terms, reverence and awe, did you note the writer could have used other words? It could have said, worship him in kindness and love. And that's not wrong. But you won't get what you need from that. It could have said, worship him in his mercy and grace. But it didn't say that. It says, if you want to find him, it's with reverence and awe you'll find him. Found that very interesting. So God's holiness invites reverence and complete aweness of him. To embrace a holy God is to hallow him. Another word we don't use very often, the word hallow. Hallow means to greatly respect him for who he really is. To esteem, to honor, to venerate, to adore him above anyone or anything else. So when we embrace a holy God, we begin to take on his heart. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. And what is not important to him is not important to us. And what is important to him is important to us. Reverence and awe of a holy God, listen to this. Reverence and awe of a holy God will protect you from departing from your faith. I'm going to say the, the reason people leave faith is not because he lacks in goodness. It's not because there's a lack of love and a feeling towards him. Because those people leave by the hordes, the faith. People that leave the faith. In other words, people that either leave the faith, walk away from God, or have become lethargic and go nowhere and never finish their race. 
Why? It's, it's all over the scriptures. It's because they do not have the awe and revere of God. That's, if you want to finish the race strong, it's there. Now, I'm going to use an illustration because uh, this, this, this hit me. This story goes back to the late 1980s. Lori and I had just been early into pastoral ministry. We remember it vividly when it came down. How many here, uh, aging some of you, how many here uh, remember the whole saga around Jimmy and Tammy Baker? How many here remember that? Okay, it was called the Praise the Lord Club. And uh, PTL, the largest Christian broadcast in the world. And it was tremendous. So many lives were impacted by PTL Club, the ministry of, and the founders, the ones who were the, the visible uh, part of that ministry was Jimmy and Tammy Faye Baker. The picture I think we have of them, if you remember them back then. The ministry collapsed. Those who, many of us don't maybe know the story. The ministry, it was strong. It was global. They had the largest uh, broadcast uh, ministering uh, really across North America unprecedentedly at the time. God was doing some great things. It collapsed when it started when it was discovered that Jimmy was in an adulterous relationship. They investigated and further discovered that there was scandal upon scandal of Mishandling of finances by Jimmy and a few key others. And it was huge. It was not just an oops. It was purposeful mishandling, stealing of finances, of people's donations. All the major networks carried this back in the late 80s. A trial would ensue. A verdict came down. And Jimmy was put in prison. He was sentenced to 45 years in the penitentiary. Later, an appeal would go forward, and his 45 years were reduced to five years. Some of you remember this. I remember it shook the church. It shook the Christian world. Towards the end of Jimmy's sentence, towards the end of the five years, there was an interview that was conducted. The person that met with him recorded the interview, and Jimmy, in the early part, this is at the end of his prison sentence, he's not long to get out. And Jimmy started off emphatically saying, he said this, quote, this prison was not God's judgment on my life. This prison was his mercy. If I continued, listen to this, if I continued walking the path that I was on, I would have ended up in hell forever. That was from Jimmy. This wasn't judgment. It was God's mercy. It was God's mercy. He would go on in that interview, and it goes on, there's all kinds of stuff in that interview, to elaborate on what happened, how God broke him. Not just a jailhouse salvation story, but we are able to testify today. He's alive. We are able to go back and look at his life through everybody. He's been probably one of the most watched Christians since coming out of jail, and rightfully so, but his life was changed in jail. Different than the person that went to jail. Different than he ever was. A truly changed and transformed man. Uh, Jimmy Baker was known to be a man of passion. He could sway the crowds. 
He was a man who loved God. He could sing. He could worship. He could preach. He could, he could draw you to himself. And he drew you to God. There was no doubt about it. The interviewer came to the moment in the interview when he asked the question that was on everyone's mind. When did you fall out of love with Jesus? And Jimmy looked intensely at the interviewer in the eye and with all sincerity he said, I didn't fall out of love with Jesus. I want you to hear that. I didn't fall out of love with Jesus. He would go on to explain. He says, I loved Jesus the entire time. And after a pause, he said this profound truth. He said, I love Jesus, quote, I love Jesus, but I didn't fear God. Now that is worth taking home and marking. You can love Jesus and not have the fear of the Lord. There is a difference between. He would go on to say that he believed in the interview. He said he believed there are millions of people just like him who love Jesus but don't fear God. God's not holy. Scripture makes it clear the starting place of knowing God intimately is the fear of the Lord. Without it, we develop a, listen, without the fear of the Lord, without the awe and reverence of a holy God, without that, we develop a phony relationship with the knockoff Jesus. One who is not the Lord of glory. It's your Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. It's not the real one. It's your God, but it's not the real God. We've, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to unwrap this because there's so many scriptures that'll, sh- it'll shake you to the core. So many scriptures that talk about this. Too many today, people that are falling away, people that never get on fire for God, people who never see the fruit of ministry or the fruit of their lives, they are worshiping a different Jesus. They're going to church, they're singing the songs, they're reading some Bible, but remember you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And you can love Jesus, you can lead people, you can have gifts, but you will not have the awe and fear and reverence of God. He is not holy because you're worshiping a knockoff Jesus. It's your Jesus. It's your Jesus. It's how you've constructed him. And it could be constructed from your background that brought you to that moment. But we as a church, we need to really stop and ask God, who are you really? Not just what I want you to be. And I think when we begin to ask that question, he will be delighted to show us the answer. Because if we don't, we believe in an unreal Savior. He's not a real Savior. And I don't want to believe in an unreal Savior. I want to believe in who he really is. Paul understood this when he wrote Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. If you want to turn there, Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Note this part. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, he didn't say work out your salvation with love and kindness. He said, work out your salvation with fear. What does it mean working out? We can't work our salvation. What he's saying, you mature, go deep, grow. Come to the full stature of your salvation. Work out your maturity. And the only way you can do it is you can't do it through love. You can't do it just through kindness. You do it through the fear and trembling. It's with in awe, reverence. The holiness of God through which we depart from God. That's when we lose that. When we never get it, we depart from him. 
because it doesn't shake us to me timbers. It doesn't get to the heart of us. And uh, I come back to I make a point. Let's, let me start with a point, and I'm going to come back to Hebrews 12. The point, the love of God draws us to him, but it is the holy awe of God that keeps us from the evil that would destroy your life. That's a good word. The love of God draws you to him, but it's the holy awe of God that will keep you from evil, that will destroy your life. Hmm. Hebrews, now we understand chapter 12, verse 28. We go back to it. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let me illustrate this again. There was an evangelist I heard one time and he was telling of the story where he traveled to Brazil, the capital city in Brazil, It was his first time in that great nation to bring the word of God. He was pretty excited about the opportunity to minister to a large crowd. He said on the day of his speaking, the arena was well attended. He said the parking lot was full. The seats were packed. The conference was well attended. The evangelist was escorted into the arena And after meeting with other leaders, he was taken to his position at the front by the platform. He was ecstatic as they began to worship. The musicians and song leaders began to worship with thousands of hungry believers. However, his excitement didn't last long. Because as they worshipped, something was missing. And he said himself, he says, he noticed the presence of God was missing. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a second to explain what that means. There's the omnipresence of God and there's the manifest presence of God. Let me explain this. The omnipresent, God's omnipresent means everywhere present. God is everywhere present. The Bible talks of that. Psalms, David testifies, Psalms 139, verse 7, I can never get away from your presence. If I go up, go down, go sideways, your presence, God is all present. Even in darkness, I can't hide. That's what David said. That's the omnipresence of God. This is the presence of God that promises to the believer in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm present. I'm here. There's no place I can't, you can't find me. Omnipresence of God. Let me talk about a second reference. It's God's manifest presence. This is what John spoke of in John 14, 21. Jesus said, I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest, the word manifest, is a Greek word meaning to make apparent, to let oneself be intimately known and understood. And this occurs when God reveals himself to our mind and to our senses. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus would say, where two or three gather together in my name, I'm there with them. Now, he's not referring to the omnipresence of God. He wouldn't say it. It makes no sense if he's referring God's everywhere present anyway. He wouldn't say that. When Jesus says, where two or three come together in my name, in my call, in my awe, when they gather together, I am there with them because that is a picture of God manifesting. I will manifest my presence. I will will show up in great ways. This presence, the evangelist, I come back to the story. Early into the service, his heart was heavy. The presence of God was not there. Now, his omnipresent would have been but not the manifest presence, which you expect. 
The evangelist said he closed his eyes and he asked Holy Spirit. He says, Holy Spirit, where's your presence? What's going on? And within moments, he began to notice something that he had missed prior to that. As he looked up, he noticed that the people just were not engaged in worship. I mean, not all of them. Some were. But many, hands in their pockets, arms crossed in their chest, looking around nonchalantly, looking bored. He says he saw women fumbling through their purses. Many people were milling about the auditorium or going about to purchase snacks at the concession stands. Numerous attendees were laughing and chatting and talking and just having some fun. Their behavior, he said, was no different from a crowd waiting for a show or a sports event. And I've paused here. I've known evangelists who say one of the hardest places for them to do evangelistic work is inside stadiums that are sports stadiums because there's an expectation of entertainment. Okay, come back to this now. He says uh, that it was like a sports event was about to begin. He said even when the songs and the worship, when the worship ended and one of the leaders got up and began to read from the scriptures, nothing changed. The evangelist could hear a low murmur of people engaged in conversation. And then he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. And the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to directly confront this. <laughs> I want you to directly confront this. So it wasn't long after that he was introduced. He walked up to the podium, and normally when you get up to the podium, you start by saying, it's great to be in Brazil. Thank you for having me. Normally that's the first thing you say. He said he walked up to the podium, and he decided not to say anything. He just stood, his translator beside him, just looking. He said 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute went by before the people realized it's really quiet in here. And so the murmur settled down and the people stopped and they looked. He had their attention. He didn't introduce himself. Rather, he started by asking this question. He said, this is his start. How would you like it if while you speak to someone sitting across the table from you, they ignored you, or they stared at the ceiling. They were disinterested, or they carried on with the conversation with the person next to them. How would you like it? And he answered his own question. He says, you wouldn't, would you? He probed further. He said, what if every time you went over to your neighbor, you knocked on the door, and you were greeted with disinterested look, along with a monotone voice saying, saying oh, it's only you. He said, would you continue to go back to their house? And after a pause, he said, no way. And then he brought it home. He said, do you think the king of the universe is going to manifest his presence or speak in a place where he is not honored and revered? Never. He continued, he said, if a famous singer, and he named somebody by name, or a famous athlete, named someone by name, stood on this platform, they would have been granted your full attention and your respect. Yet, while we worship the most holy God of the universe and we read from his divine word a moment ago, you paid no attention to it. It was white noise to you. He said he had their attention. <laughs> I guess so. He said for the next 90 minutes, he spoke about the fear of the Lord. He said you could have heard a pin drop. He said probably they were a bit stunned 
by the confrontation. Nevertheless, they listened. And he said the Holy Spirit began to move. He said once he was finished, he gave a call. His call was this. If you are a believer, you lack the fear, the awe, the reverence of God in your heart, and you want to repent, stand up. And he said without hesitation, three-quarters of them stood up to their feet. And he said within moments, he began praying for them. And he said it was one of the most profound moments of the presence of God moved through that stadium. People started sobbing. People started crying as a wonderful presence of a holy God began to touch their lives. The awesomeness of God didn't push them away, didn't make them angry or mean or saying, I'll never come back. No, the awesomeness of God drew them close to a holy God. And he would later tell the story that at some point during that meeting when they were praying, he said not only that, he says it began to shake. He says a thunderous sound came in. He honestly thought that a jet flew low over the stadium. But he went back and they verified and they went to the panels, the soundboard, they recorded the whole thing. And they said there was no jet. There was no earthquake. There was nothing outside that came in this building. This sound generated from the people. And it wasn't just a sob. It was a spiritual thunder began to take place inside. He said he's never seen it before. And it showed up. It was coming through the microphone, showing up. It wasn't from the soundboard kicking back and giving feedback. It was something just out of this world. You hear of it throughout Scripture where those moments happen. And he said the sound filled the arena. Daniel chapter 10, verse 9. Daniel, who a prophet, used to listening to God, speaking on his behalf. Daniel chapter 10, verse 9 says, Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you. Stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, Daniel was precious to God. And yet in this instance... He had an encounter with an angel. This was just an angel. An angel who had come from the presence of holy God. The angel had just come from the presence of holy God. And when the angel encountered, and Daniel encountered the angel, he was, his knees buckled. When the angel came, he was overwhelmed. The angel came, assisted him back up to his feet. Daniel trembled the entire time. That's Daniel's testimony. And I want to say, if this happens in the presence of a messenger from God, an angel, imagine what happens if God manifests himself personally. If an angel could do that to a person like Daniel, what would holy God be like to get that close? I want to put this line up for you. The holiness of God manifest in our lives grows proportionately to our comprehension of God's greatness. The holiness of God manifests, his manifestation to you will grow proportionately to your comprehension of how great he really is. If we don't dig deep, we don't dive deep, you won't get it. Those who dig deep, you will never get to the bottom of mining something that will embrace his manifest presence. And yet, here's the rub, here's the problem. We can't measure God's greatness. Psalms 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Now there's the problem. We can't measure it. 
Holy God is beyond our understanding. His glory is unsearchable, has no boundaries, no limits. It's uncomparable. In one word, that's why, in one word, holy. So let's go back to our text. I'm going to close with where I started. We go back to Isaiah chapter 6. It was taking place at 742 B.C. It was the year that the king of Judah had died. The prophet Isaiah had the vision that we read of earlier. And in chapter 6, the first four verses we read, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, highly exalted in all his glory. His awesomeness filled the massive arena. This arena that Isaiah is talking about probably held commentators over a billion people. It's the arena that we will one day gather together in the book of Revelation. He saw him. This is a massive arena. I saw him. And from the lips of angels around the throne, Isaiah distinctly heard them say, and this he quotes it. Isaiah quotes it. Here's what the angels were saying. The angels were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, some of you here know the, the hymn, a hymn that was written over 200 years ago by John Dykes. The hymn uh, has been a staple song of the church all over the years. The hymn goes, some of you know it, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. However, I'm going to just say, this song, this is nothing compared to what Isaiah saw. It's nothing. He stood before holy himself. These massive beings around the throne, these angels were not singing a lovely song to make God feel good about himself. Listen, when we worship, it doesn't stroke God's feathers. Our worship is a response to a holy God. It's not doesn't do anything for him. It does a lot for you. And when the angels were singing, they were not stroking a holy God. They were not building him up as some tyrant leader or an emperor. That was not what the angels were doing. When the angels were singing this, they were responding to what they were seeing. They were simply responding. These massive beings who Daniel fell down. These massive beings around the throne. These angels were singing, and they were responding to fresh new facets of his unsearchable greatness that continued to be unfolded before them. They just, they couldn't get enough, and they've been spending eternity with him. And it was like they couldn't get enough because he continued to reveal himself to them. And they kept saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. And it was going, this is, Isaiah was pulled into that throne room in a vision to see this. They cried out, holy, holy, holy. Now, I need to explain something. The seraphim did not repeat holy three times. We have it down three times in their Bible. Let me explain how this works when the writers were writing. When a Hebrew word in the Bible is repeated such as this one three times. Uh, the writers were emphasizing what they were seeing. So there wasn't a stuttering problem with the angels. The angels weren't stuck on having to repeat. Sometimes we get stuck on repeat, repeat, repeat. We think somehow it's going to build on something. You know, sometimes we just need to 
sit on it for a while, but it doesn't have power in itself. The angels weren't repeating. The power of holy was not repetition three times and then continuing to say it over and over and over and over. A Hebrew word, when it needed emphasis, would be repeated twice. It would be like you on your text. I was told when we started texting, you know, sometimes I get excited and I'd put a capital word. And my kids quickly corrected me. They said, Dad, when you make a capital word, it's like you're yelling. Is that not true? So be careful when you put a capital word. When you capitalize, it's like you're yelling at the person. If you don't want them to take it like you're yelling at them, don't capitalize it. And I didn't know that. But that's, that's what we're talking about here. So what happened is when they would say a word and they needed it emphasized, we would maybe capitalize it. When they needed it emphasized, they would repeat it. So it's not that the word was repeated twice. It was only said once. But there was emphasis to the word. And that's how the writers had to get it across that emphasized that word. This happened when Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 7, 21. I'll use it as an illustration. Jesus said in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord, Lord is not mentioned twice. It is, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it's mentioned twice because Jesus, Matthew, Matthew was listening to Jesus in this story. Matthew was the one who wrote this. Matthew was sitting and listening to Jesus. And Matthew noticed that when Jesus got to that point, Jesus was saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord. That's what happened. So how does Matthew write it down? Lord, Lord. He emphasizes it by bringing two words, Lord. But actually what happened is Jesus emphasized, not everyone who says to me, Lord. Those who cry out, Lord. Not everyone who does that will enter kingdom. Okay? So... In varying degrees, the Hebrew writers elevate the words. Seldom, one thing to hit it twice, Lord, Lord. Only about two or three times in the Bible can you actually find it three times. Very seldom is a word repeated three times to the third degree. This would give the statement the highest degree of emphasis. In essence, we come back to Isaiah. These angels, their voices, third degree thundered the heavens. Holy, and everything shook. That's what he's saying. Holy, the foundations, the stands, the thresholds, the doorposts shook. Stadium of over a billion people. Holy, everything shook. When we understand that, it looks different, doesn't it? It wasn't said three times, it was said once. Holy, and it shook everything with huge, thunderous evidence of his presence. And Isaiah said when he saw God's glory, what was his response? <laughs> his response, soon as that happened, he didn't, he didn't say, ooh, I'm excited. He didn't say, see me, see me. No, he said, he cried out. He says, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I'm done. I'm done. That was a human response to holy, holy. Wow. Job said the same thing in Job chapter 1, verse 8. When Job caught a glimpse of holy, same thing happened. Ezekiel, likewise, fell face down on the ground. Ezekiel 1, 28. Abraham did FaceTime, Genesis 17, verse 3. Moses 
couldn't stop shaking. Hebrews 12, 21. John, the beloved disciple who put his head on the breast of Jesus, fell down as though dead. Revelation 1, 17. I could just keep going on. There are so many more wonderful instances throughout Scripture. If we go later into Isaiah's life, if we go on down to chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 18 and 25, Isaiah asks a question he already knows an answer. Isaiah asks the question, to whom can you compare God? And he already knows the answer, there's no one. You can't compare him. Holy. This is what we're talking about here. So you understand, this is, a, this is huge. How do, you, how do you adequately talk holy when the heavens can't contain it? How do you do it? Don't you agree with me? If ever there was a time in history that God's holiness should be deeply pondered and not just skimmed over, don't you think it's now? We really got to get a hold of this. I believe in this day, this hour, many of us are so preoccupied with the onslaught of information, 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 filling our minds, filling our spare time. Every space we have, we're filling it, filling it, filling it. And the time that comes to meditate on him, which is so absolutely critical in this hour, is lost. We don't see him. We can't begin to fathom holy God because our development of understanding this, a holy God, has been hindered. And consequently, we've been drawn into a system of this world, this gain, the pride of human achievements. We pull up people and call them magnificent. We pull up people and call them superheroes. We pull up people and marvel over people. An entire series is called the Marvel Series. We marvel. What we've done is we pulled the finite, and we call it the same name that was meant to be little for one, one God. I mean, add to a continual bombardment of accolades of talent and athletes, beautiful Hollywood stars, gifted musicians and artists and business gurus and charismatic leaders and important individuals, and their fame is lauded on social media, mainstream, many other public platforms. The tragic reality is, is that these seemingless harmless, harmless snippets of information and human achievement actually distracts, it actually pulls me away from a magnificent invitation to behold what Isaiah saw. It crowds me out, and I don't see it. So we don't. And we go on saying we love him. We could grasp 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We'll read that. I mean, I think there's something to be said that we need to just pause and gaze into his magnificence, that we would behold his glory. Oh, God, let it be. We would join with Isaiah and the other great ones of history who've encountered him, walked with him, pleased him, and received that promise, well done, my good and faithful servant. They've finished the battle well. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I ask myself, I ask you the question, whose image do you aspire to be conformed to? Celebrities of our day or the Holy One of the entire universe? Might I say choose wise your choice
Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.